Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Our text this morning is actually one that is not all that well known, but it is quite famous, particularly amongst Negro spirituals. And it is a a text about crossing the Jordan into the Promised Land, into Canaan. And you remember that song, Deep River? Um, I'm, you know, something about want to cross over into into campground. And um, the, the, oftentimes the songs about the river are songs that are taken from this account. For the people of God were wandering in the wilderness and they were making their way toward the promised land and they had sent spies into Canaan and they came back with these reports. These reports that said, the people there are huge, they're giants. And they, they said the grapes are as big as watermelons. And, and the, 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 the land is just, how are we going to do this? How are we going to conquer the land? Well, and those, there's one man who was 84 years old who said, I will lead. I'm going to lead everyone in. And um, so this kind of courage that was demonstrated by the people of God as they made their way and then by God's direction they were to cross over just to the east of Jericho. Cross over and then in that crossing what happened was as they stepped into the water God stopped the waters up up to the north. It was the time of the spring harvest and the Jordan was running at full. But God stopped the water so all of the people crossed on dry ground, just like they had crossed before out of Egypt. Crossed on dry ground and then this time it's Joshua. Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. He could see it from Mount Pisgah, but Joshua then said, we're going to set up a memorial, a monument to remember this. Twelve stones stacked up on the western side of the Jordan in Gilgal as a reminder so that we know of God's faithfulness. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the fourth chapter of Joshua. The people crossed the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the twelve stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? And you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried up, dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so that all nations on the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. 
Well, I often hear about people making a move, whether it's just going back up north or selling all their stuff up north and deciding to come down here and be uh, permanent residents down here in Naples. But what I hear about, in fact, I heard about it just this last week, we have 45 years of stuff in our house up north. And we have to go through all of that stuff. And you know what you have to go through. It's boxes and clothes, all that that you know you have accumulated over the years. But the really tough thing about that is what to throw away. What do you throw? Because you'll come across something and you'll see it and, oh, I remember this. Or old photographs and you'll see your kids when they were little and grandkids and, and you just, well, you've got to keep that. And then you'll come across a tiny little shirt that your son wore in Little League. I mean, one thing after another. Next thing you know, you've got boxes and boxes and boxes that you want to take with you. <laughs> you can't let it go. Because they are memorials. Personal memorials of our own personal history. This is a memorial. This Bible with the red, white, and blue ribbons. This was my dad's Bible, family Bible. And every Christmas he would read from this, the Christmas story. It's a memorial. I could never get rid of this. And when I was up north a couple weeks ago with my, with my grandkids there, the four of them, I spoke with Owen, the eldest of the grandkids, and the the boy through whom the Anderson name is going to survive. And I told him, I've got a special gift for you on your 10th birthday. And the gift that I'm going to give you, I'm not going to tell you what it is, because he's just after me. But it's something that your great, great grandfather made. It was the last thing great grandpa, your great, great grandpa made before he died. He had visited us when we were in Riverside, and he took me down to the lumber yard, and with his own hands, he put this together. This toolbox. And he filled it with hand tools, and gave it to me. My grandpa. This is a memorial. This is something I could never depart from. When I give that to Owen, I'm going to have a narrative about his great-great-grandpa, his great-grandpa, his grandpa, and his dad, so that he'll have that sense of, of the lineage that goes before him. How important these monuments, these memorials are to us. When I accompanied Rich, Pettingill, an honor flight back in September. We went and visited the memorials there. And on that occasion, we had four Gold Star families in our bus. We were in Arlington National Cemetery. And the bus stopped so that those four families 
would have an opportunity to see the graves of their sons. The bus has stopped. Two families were in our bus. Two families were in the bus in front of us. The doors opened, and these families got out. And they ran, spontaneously. All eight of them ran to the place where their sons were buried. Memorials. And in that moment, I realized that, that these things that are in our lives, that call to our remembrance, call up our memories to those things that are so very critical and so very important in our lives and in the lives of others and in the life of our nation cannot be dispensed with. We all know there's all kinds of controversy around this or that memorial, but at the same time we, we need to remember the importance of those monuments that we have. And we ought not dispose of our monuments, of our memorials, lightly. Just like when you go through that box and you might have five of the same pictures of, of your child or grandchild or whatever it may be, it's so hard even to throw one of them away because they call to our remembrance. And it's so critical that we remember. Several years ago, I did the service for Jack Sims. Jack was second off the deck after Jimmy Doolittle in the Tokyo Raid, the Doolittle Raid, in which all 80 or so men volunteered for service in, a, in an act that no one thought they would survive. They were to fly over Tokyo and, and drop some strategically located bombs on, on various factories and then crash land into China. Jack Sims, it was a great privilege to do that service and when I arrived at the graveside, here were some Air Force cadets for a 21 gun salute. And I called him over because I got there early and I said, hey guys, come over here. This was one of the last Doolittle Raiders. And he is a hero for our nation. And they said, the Doolittle Raid, what is that? They didn't know what it was. As you'll recall, several months after the attack on Pearl Harbor, this was a symbolic response. It didn't have great strategic value, but it had great personal value to us as a nation for us to respond. But they didn't remember. And even now, we have a generation coming up, the, the millennial generation, something in the neighborhood of 70% of our millennials don't know what Auschwitz was. They don't, many don't even realize what the Holocaust was. And if, if we cannot remember, we will, we will destroy our culture. 
If we cannot remember, we'll destroy our future. That's what Elie Wiesel says, the Holocaust survivor and Nobel Peace Prize winner. So we must, we must remember. Failing is a form of arrogance that G.K. Chesterton calls the arrogance of those that happen to be walking about. Somehow thinking we know, we're better than, and we don't need to rely upon the wisdom of those who've gone before us. And so these times, these days, this is not just about beer and brats. This is about pausing to be grateful. And I would even encourage you to watch some of those old war, war movies. <laughs> they may be dumb. But the war movies from the 50s and 60s, we didn't have the gore that we have in our modern movies, but in some way to remember, just to remember. I turned one on not long ago, it was called When Trumpets Fail. And when I turned it on, I was somewhat surprised because I wasn't expecting it, but the, the opening of that movie, well, it was Peter Thomas narrating. This dear man, our dear brother, Peter Thomas, who was a part of our church, one of the most prolific voiceovers in the world, and a man who loved and never forgot the veterans who served. And for two years, I visited with Peter in his room up at Moorings Park. And much of that time, he would spend talking about not himself or his experience, but those he met. I remember he said, I was so stunned one day. There was a German soldier who had been, who had been shot, and he was laying down on the ground in a village in, in western Germany. And he said, I, I saw this man and I don't think I've ever seen a more beautiful human being than that man. This is a man who recognized substance and, and heroism and dignity in all those around him. And Peter went into Omaha Beach the morning after. The day before, Dwight Eisenhower met these men. And he said, soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade, about to cross over, toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessings of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. Thousands went across, whether on those landing craft or overhead. And the youngest was a paratrooper who gave his life 
at 16 years old. 16. I'm going to share with you in a moment what Peter shared with us as a congregation on the 70th anniversary of D-Day. But when Peter was done, as he was walking out, one gentleman stepped out into the middle aisle right here. And he said, Peter, we needed you there that day. This is a man who was there that morning. He was part of Omaha Beach and the Omaha Landing. And he was 16 years old when he enlisted. 17 years old during the landing. Next time you're at the mall or wherever, try to pick out a young man or a young woman who's 17 years old. 17. Peter served. My dad was there. A dear friend of mine in this community was there and Bernie Turner and others whom you know were there and their service was one that we recognize as that of courage and heroism. D-Day, June 6th, 1944. We must always remember, remembering great Americans, our own. We must never forget to honor our soldiers in all our wars. Old soldiers never die, they just fade away. We're old now. We were soldiers then, and that changed our life forever. Ten years after the war, I was living in Connecticut with my family, and it was a snowy winter day. And I don't know why in the winter, my mind went back to Omaha Beach. And I wrote this poem that I'd like to share with you now. It is titled, Omaha Beach. When we went in, the beach had been taken. The living fought on, the dead forsaken. We were dropped into water up to our shoulders. We waded in, a group of green soldiers onto that thin strip of beach so many had tried to reach. They were the ones who went in first among the machine gun fire and shell burst. They went to watery graves sinking beneath the waves. The water was red, red from the dead, red from the dying in agony crying. Those that made the land could not stand, they fell on the sand, writhing in pain, screaming for help in vain. Every advantage was on the hill. They murdered our men at will. 
they murdered our men at will. The rain of death from the cliffs never stopped. Never stopped. But we just kept coming in from the sea, wave after wave, as far as you could see. Sheer courage and determination dictated the victory that day. Others in the future will say when they stand on that mighty height and look down on that thin strip of beach, they'll say, I don't see how they ever did it. They fought for every inch of it sides of that fortified wall, over the tops of those cliffs so tall. <laughs> I'll never forget that beach. I'll never forget the men and the ships in the air and on the land and those that died on the sand and in the water. They lie now beneath thousands of white crosses and stars of David. Those wonderful soldiers who died so young. They died so we could be free. How can we ever forget what they did? We honor them this day. We salute them and we humbly beseech, dear God, bless the man who died on Omaha Beach. God bless America.
Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for planting within each human soul desire to live with meaning, to fulfill a purpose, to respond to a high calling. Thank you for all those who responded. Thank you, Lord, for the strength that you give us because of the indwelling reality of Jesus Christ in each of our hearts. We pray in his name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.